This is the Future of HR Podcast, Episode 11. Whenever you can, however you can, create art. Authentic relationships that lead to trust. If you can do that, that grace that I just mentioned, because we have an authentic relationships that has led to trust, I trust that you have my best in mind. We can typically talk through would solve anything. How do you build authentic relationships that lead to trust? Why is it more important to be effective than right? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. Today, my guest is James Fripp, Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer at Yum Brands. Yum Brands is the largest restaurant company in the world with over $6.5 billion in revenue, 53,000 restaurants, 36,000 team members in 155 countries with countless franchisees around the globe. Reporting to Young Brands CEO, James has global responsibility for advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies and practices across the company's brands, workplaces, and franchise systems. Building on Young Brands' years of progress on its diversity inclusion journey, James is focused on increasing diverse representation among company leadership, franchisees, and suppliers since 2011, James has led diversity and inclusion efforts at Yum Brands, where he's elevated their public commitments and partnerships across the company. Previously, James was at Taco Bell in various leadership positions in the operations, restaurant excellence, and he ended his career with the brand as head of field human resources. In my conversation today with James, we'll discuss why you should seek out mentors who are different, not similar to you, how to build authentic relationships that lead to trust and a culture of belonging, and his advice on how new chief equity and inclusion officers can make an impact in their first six months in the role, and much more. James, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? (laughs) I'm doing great. It is awesome to have you on the show today. Let's jump into it. Tell us a little more about how you grew up and how that's influenced you, your leadership style, and your career. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting ride. It's it's one that takes me around the globe, quite honestly. But I'm a military brat. Uh, father was in the Air Force. I'm one of eight kids. I'm number five. I've got five sisters and a couple of brothers. And I was born in South Texas, down at the border, Del Rio, a military base down there. And then and then we moved to Arizona, and then we went from Arizona to Alaska, um, and spent uh, three years in um, Fairbanks, and then um, came back to a different base in Texas. Uh, in San Angelo, and then spent uh, about three and a half years in Turkey, and then um, Nebraska, and uh, now uh, where I'm based in uh, Dallas. So it's wow. uh, yeah, it's been a ride. It's been a ride, and a, a lot of fun, and a lot of lot of difference. Uh, in terms of your question around how has it impacted me, I think for me, the only thing I've known is difference. I've been different. I've moved to different places. You meet different people. When you go to those places, we moved every three to four years, lived in different country, lived in in Turkey for a bit, as I mentioned. In most, if not all of those places, 
I was the one of difference. And, and so you learn things, you learn, um, you learn how to get along, you learn how to connect unless you want to be very, very lonely everywhere you go. Uh, you learn how to quickly, not assimilate, I would say, but you learn how to engage with folks in a way that, um, you can quickly establish, uh, similarities and differences and find those that are like you in the context of things that they like, sports that you like to play, um, even thought process. And then you connect with those folks and you continue on. Uh, but all I've known is difference. And it's, um, to be honest with you, I think it's been the, the thing that's helped me the most in my day job, in my work as equity, inclusion, and belonging officer at, at Young Brands. It's really been the thing that makes it easy for me to connect with individuals in an authentic way. And, and as a result of that, so it's allowed me to not be supportive of some people, but be supportive of all. One thing I've always admired about you is your ability to connect with people. And now, you know, it's been a long time since we've seen each other again. I did not know that about you in terms of just moving every three to four years, living across the globe. And, but you have an uncanny ability to be not only who you are, but I think acknowledge the similarities as well as the differences in a respectful way when you meet somebody. And that's, I think, one of the gifts that you have, James. Now, we do know each other from, I hate to say this, I'm not going to say how long ago, because I started my career at Taco Bell and Yum Brands. And James and I were a little younger, maybe a little more hair. Um, <laughs> and James was an HR, a business partner in the field. But you've actually spent your entire career at Yum Brands and actually started as your first job behind the counter at Taco Bell. And I think in 2022, it's incredibly rare and admirable to find someone who's worked their entire career at one company. As you look back on your career, can you tell us a few of the pivotal roles that really helped you grow and develop into the leader you are today at Young Brands? Yeah, thank you for your kind words. It's really been amazing. And I, I quite honestly, I have to thank my sister who worked at Taco Bell. And when I needed a first job, um, you know, I, I went to my sister where she was, you know, as she, she was working there and I said, Hey, can you help me find a job? And she's like, I think so. But if you do, you better not mess it up. And, um, and so I'm still working not to mess it up, but it's been a great ride. But I think the, the, the roles that were, were pivotal for me throughout my career, first and foremost was that role that you talked about being in the restaurants, working in the restaurants, understanding what happens in the restaurants, understanding our people's experiences in the restaurants and understand how the business works from the most basic parts. How do you run it? How do you make it go? What are things that can negatively impact it? How do you solve for those? How do you understand how sales flow down to the bottom line? How do you manage labor and food costs and all those kinds of things? So really it was a, it was foundational in the context of how does business truly work? And so working in the restaurants um, really gave me that foundational basis. I think the next role that really was interesting to me and really added value was this whole notion of when I was running restaurants, it was up to me to make the restaurant successful and do all those things. The next role was this multi-unit role where it, it was really difficult in the context of when you are successful as an individual contributor, moving to a leadership role 
causes you to have to use different skills. Now, the reality of it is, as human beings, we naturally migrate towards that which made it successful, which for me, it was me doing what I do to make my restaurant successful. But when you get to the multi-unit restaurant level, it's about how do you support, enable, and inspire others to do the same. And so there was some great learnings in that role that really helped me start to establish my, my, my leadership style and to, to be honest with you, to challenge me. And then finally, as I got into the talent acquisition and ultimately the HR business partner role, and I, and I use those words and I'll talk to a little bit more about that specifically later, but I said HR business partner. At the time, people may have called it, we called it HR generalist, but got into this associate HR generalist role and what it taught me was if you want to be truly a servant leader, if you want to be someone who supports people, this may be the work for you. Mm. It also taught me if it needs to be about you, this space is not for you. So meaning if you want to, if you, if you need to be the person that's on the stage receiving the award instead of the person sitting in the front row clapping those who are on the stage, then you, you might ought to stay in that, that very frontline forward income producing role and things of that nature. When you get into the HR side of the business and indeed equity, inclusion, and belonging, where those folks who are behind the scenes, where those folks who are inspiring and, and, and coaching and developing and guiding and, and all those things to help others be more successful. And so, so I think that associate HR generalist role really helped me decide where I wanted to play. And I chose to stay on this side of the business because it better suited me, who I am as an individual and those kinds of things. So that's a little bit about the career and kind of the, the different career paths and, and the roles that have helped me kind of define who I am and, and what I love. Yeah. And when you talked about being a multi-level unit manager, you talked about how do you coach, develop, inspire. Is that where you started to get the bug that, hey, maybe you know, it's okay if I'm not the person getting the trophy or on stage, but I can actually help develop the people, develop the organization. That's where your passion was. Absolutely. It was absolutely. It was because what I saw was if I'm running one restaurant, that's by and large the extent of my impact. But when you start running multiple restaurants, then you see the impact that starts to really start to grow the impact that you have, not just on the business, but on the people. And you end up having the opportunity to inspire and, and, and see others achieve things that they never thought that they would. And that's where I get my energy. So for me, that's, that. that's absolutely what it was. Yeah. And you can have so much impact as an HR business partner or in the role that you're, of course, on today. James, talk a little bit more about what's kept you at Yum Brands obviously an incredible company, but you stayed your whole career. I mean, I'm sure you've gotten phone calls. You probably get phone calls today, maybe not today, but you get calls, right? Talk to us more about what Yum Brands, why it's so special and why you stayed for so long. What's made me stay is this company bet on me. It bet on me then and it's still betting on me today. And uh, some of those bets, quite honestly, I'm not sure they should have ever taken, but, but the company did and they, they stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had folks that, uh, by all rights should have said, this guy, what is he doing? Um, 
but they literally did say, okay, great. We know you haven't necessarily done this before, but we believe that you can do it. You can be successful at it and we're going to be there to support you. And the only thing that they've done is done that in every career move that I've ever had here in the organization. I was an operator, right? And at the time we were part of Pepsi and, and then, you know, there was a lot of great HR folks at Pepsi and Frito and all those kinds of things, but they bet on me and let me get into the, the talent acquisition side of the, of the business. And I said, Hey, I wanted to stay and, and, and continue on the HR path. And they said, yes, I could do that. And so, you know, I, I mean, I literally, yes, I've been with one company, but I've had six, seven different roles in the company over those years. And it's been amazing. And, and the other thing is the culture's great. Culture's awesome. And I love the culture. And now, quite honestly, part of my role is to drive that culture. And I have that accountability, that responsibility, and the honor to do that, not just domestically, but globally. And so, so when you start to impact things from a global perspective in this little company called Yum, you start to feel like, you know what? I mean, I'm touching the globe. I'm traveling around the globe. I'm engaging with all those folks. I'm making a difference around the globe. I, I'm, I'm not sure that I need to do or go somewhere else to do that. So, so my cup's being filled here, has been being filled here. And I'm also able to do things outside the organization, on boards and, and all those kinds of things that influence and impact the, the entire industry, not just young. And so when you're, when you're able to do all the things that, that, that fill your cup, it makes it easy to stay. For us to have a successful career, someone's got to say, James, I believe in you. I trust you. I'm betting on you in this role and I'm going to support you. And I think a lot of times we forget that our career is not as much about us, but about the impact around us and having people who sponsor support and, and are willing to take that bet. And obviously it was a safe bet. I think that bet is still paying off today, James. But you know, one thing I know you really, you are passionate about and especially in your role today, you have an even more impact is around coaching, mentoring, help develop what I call next generation leaders who want to continue to aspire their career, have a bigger impact across the organizations. And I wonder what your career advice is for next gen leaders who aspire to be in the C-suite and to achieve the level of success you've achieved. I guess there's a number of things. First and foremost is some folks may not see any value in this, but breadth of experience, breadth of experience is critical. As I mentioned, ran restaurants and then town acquisition and then associate HR generalist and all these types, all these different roles. That breadth of experience is the very thing that helped prepare me for the seat that I'm in today. Had I not had that breadth of experience, I'm not sure I would have been as effective. Why? Because Everything that I've done allows me to more effectively relate to not some of our associates, but to all of our associates. When I go into a restaurant and I ask about a topic that they don't think somebody from the corporate office should even know about, that immediately connects me to that individual. When I say to them, hey, look, I know you know how to make that product. I know how to make that product too. Let's see who can make it the best and the fastest, right? They're not expecting that. So immediately there's connectivity there. So now the flip side of that is, when I get into the CFO's office and we're talking about, we're talking about return on investment, we're talking about EBITDA and all those kinds of things, I immediately can connect with him. And so 
But all of that comes from all the rules that I've had up to now. So this notion of, um, uh, you know, going in this, this vertical ascension in an organization, it may require you to go horizontal from time to time to get some different experiences to increase your breadth of experience, not just your depth, because you can be a subject matter expert on whatever part of the business that you're in. But those who went today are able to speak knowledgeably and in depth around multiple topics, not just one. And so that's the, the I think that's the most important is get that breadth of experience and why that matters to to all associates, but especially associates of color is sometimes we may not feel like we're being treated fairly, fairly and equitably. If someone asks us to take a role that may be a lateral move, we feel like we should always be moving up if we're really serious about increasing representation of people of color in organizations. But there is such a thing as being um, promoted too quickly. And those kinds of things can set folks up to fail. And then what that does is it validates negative stereotypes. And so so that breadth of experience, I, I think, is really, really important. The other thing I think is Make sure you create a, a board of directors for yourself that includes not some people, but all people. So majority members, people of color, but also make sure you choose the right people. And I would suggest that a lot of times folks want to find folks like them to, you know, well, I know that person just like me, another person of color just like me. So that's who I want to mentor me. Well, from my perspective, you've chosen the wrong person. You don't want to, you don't want someone to mentor you who is just like you. You want someone to mentor you who was different. And so I would say, make sure, you know, that board of directors or those mentors and, and, and those things that are those individuals who are in your orbit that are there to help you, make sure they have varied backgrounds and experiences and also are different than you in, in terms of some of the basics around maybe it's thought process, whether the person's an introvert, you're an extrovert, all types of difference in your, in your board of directors, because those are all the things, and oh, by the way, all the people that you're going to have to coach, teach, train, and develop as a senior leader in an enterprise. And so learning that along the way, I I think is critical. So I think that's that. And then finally, what I would say, excuse me, finally, what I would say is, as a person of color, give people grace. Give people grace. And what I mean by that is, you're going to run into people on this journey to senior leadership that mean well, but may not say things exactly the way you would hope, or in some cases may even say things that you might go, that's totally and absolutely inappropriate. Or, I mean, they clearly don't understand how to engage people of color. Okay. That may be true. Doesn't make them bad per se. It makes them someone who may not have had a lot of experience with people of color, but if their intentions are pure, and you understand that, then give them grace. Now you can coach them a little bit too, but give them grace because uh, one of my favorite statements is, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? Because at the end of the day, in order to be successful, you need to be effective. Now in the example that I gave you in terms of the, the coach or mentor may not say things the right way, I may be right in that they didn't say it the right way. I can call that person out 
and say, look, I don't think that's appropriate. You said that, you know, in the, in the wrong way to me. I think that's offensive. You know, clearly you haven't dealt with anybody who's different than you. Okay. I don't know that I'm going to ever get that individual to support me going forward. And I also, even if they said they support me, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get them to be honest with me and tell me if I have any areas of opportunity by virtue of the way I reacted. So give people grace and understand where they're coming from. And then, and then let me make this last point because I think it's probably one of the most important things that I've ever, I, I, I now understand that I didn't before. And I think it's the key to a lot of things around equity, inclusion, and belonging and this relationship around people of color in organizations and how we can be successful and move things forward. And that is whenever you can, however you can, create art. Hmm. And what art is, is whenever you can, however you can, create authentic relationships that lead to trust. If you can do that, that grace that I just mentioned, because we have an authentic relationship that has led to trust, I trust that you have my best in mind. And so my immediate assumption when I, when we have, when we have art, my immediate re- assumption is that you just didn't state it correctly, but I get what you mean. Versus if we don't have art, when you say something that didn't come across the right way, my immediate reaction may be to defend myself or to call you out. So if we have authentic relationships that lead to trust, we can typically talk through and solve anything. I love the arts and authentic relations that lead to trust because I think on the other side, when you're not someone of color and you have art with somebody who is of color, you can also say, hey, I'm not sure how to say this or how do I handle this situation? You know, I think it goes both ways, but I, I think this is really good advice. Now, that's not to say that if someone has a microaggression, they're doing something that's racist. Of course, we're going to call that person out. And there's different ways to do that. Obviously, it's Absolutely. unacceptable. But let's move on to talking a little bit more about your role today. You have a perspective that I think not everyone does. You have been leading Yum! Brands diversity inclusion efforts since 2011 in various forms, Right. And 2022, diversity, equity, and inclusion means different things than it meant in 2011. And I'm really curious to know, um, you know, since you've now moved into Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer in 2020, what have you learned as you look back the last 10 years plus? What's changed? What hasn't about DE&I? I think the only thing that's changed is that the world has changed. The world has changed. Social media. Global, global demographics are changing and have changed drastically since, uh, since 2011 and continue to change. This whole notion of multiracial is, is one of the fastest, fastest growing demographics that there is, not just in the United States, but, you know, as we continue to go around the globe, there's just so much. Um, oh, it, not to mention, and I know this is not the podcast for that. Politically, things have changed drastically. We've seen a lot of things happen there. And, 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 and I would be immensely remiss if I didn't mention what happened with George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd and all that took place during then 2020. There's Rayshard Brooks, there's Breonna Taylor, there's on and, 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 um, and, and that's just the start. I mean, there's the, the, the Asian hate that's taking place and all kinds of things that is, that is taking place around the globe today, women in Iran and all those types of things. Right. 
So, so there's the world has changed. And so how we go about the work, how we make sure that we are truly inclusive in the work and how we make sure that everybody, everybody in our organizations know that they have a place in a space and that they truly do indeed belong and are heard, valued and understood. How we go about that matters more than ever. So much has changed, but I'm more hopeful for the future in terms of equity, inclusion, and belonging, in terms of us moving to a better place. It's, it's a topic that never was before, like it is today in organizations. And that's great. We're talking about it. So that's a big step. But if you are new to corporate America or the workforce, I expect you want change faster. I 100% agree. We do want change faster. But honestly, this wasn't something we talked about in 2000. 2011, in the same way, you know, not in the same passion, not with the same rigor of analytics and data and things like that. So I'm hopeful that we're going the right direction. What, what about you, James? How do you feel? Are we going the right direction? Yeah, great question. So you asked me why I stay here. And this, this topic around, you know, um, am I hopeful? Am I not? There are a lot of things that are happening out there that are, that are challenging to the space. And there are some good things. Why I stay here is... We may not be able to change everything that's going on outside our four walls, but what we can do is change what's going on inside these four walls, right? So, so I, I am excited about that. We've, we've got more with all that has happened. The beauty of it is from an equity inclusion belonging perspective and a, and a, a chief diversity officers and, and organizations and things like that. Many of us have more support than we've ever had. And that absolutely is true. Our CEO is all over it. I mean, he is about it. He's excited about where we can go. He's focused on where we can go. And as a result of that, the rest of the organization is equally as focused. And, uh, and we've got, and, and I say focused and, 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 and driven around it, but we're going about it in a positive way. And so we're bringing everybody on the journey and it, and it's really, a, well, let me, I say journey, one of our partners in crime, one of our peers here and. A young lady's doing great work for us at our Taco Bell brand, Katie. She's, uh, she talks about this whole notion of the evolution. And it is, it's an evolution of what we're doing around equity, inclusion, and belonging, and, and truly meaning equity, truly meaning inclusion, and truly meaning belonging for all folks. And, and, and we feel really good about that. So we are making positive progress to your point. And it's a great one. This notion of not going fast enough. We're not, we, we don't feel like we're going fast enough. We feel like we could go faster and, and should go faster, but we didn't get here overnight, right? And it's going to take a little bit more, more time, energy, and effort. And quite honestly, if we go back to art, I don't want, I don't want compliance around equity, inclusion, and belonging. I want commitment around equity, inclusion, and belonging. And you get that when you have art, Right. When you make it a check the box and those kinds of things, it's, it, it is, it's, it's compliance, not commitment. And, um, and yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a totally different world. And you mentioned this whole notion of data. Yeah. The data is critical to help m- make sure people understand why we're doing what we're doing and to make sure that folks understand and connect it to equity, inclusion, and belonging. It's, yes, it's the right thing to do, but it's also a business imperative. And so connecting the two of those things 
through data, why it impacts the business, how it impacts the business, how people inside the organization are impacted, cutting the data in a way that you look at not just, for instance, women in general, you look at the the various intersectionalities of women and, and, and you know, is that women of color? Is that, you know, black women? Is that, you know, what, what does that look like? Majority women? And so you start to look at those things and, and really the data allows you to target where you need to focus and to have an impact and, and then informs how you should go about your work. You started talking about data, but let's talk about the experiences or skills that are important for a next gen HR leader to develop if they want to and aspire to be a chief equity, inclusion, belonging officer like yourself. I mentioned the words HR business partner. And it is, it is about being um, a business partner who happens to be an HR. That's, that's what you need to be, a business partner. You need to have, you need to understand how the business works, how we make money, how, how different inputs impact how we make money. Um, so for instance, in the seat that I sit in today, we are talking about what we should be doing in the different communities that we live and work to help support underrepresented people of color and underrepresented communities and women right around the globe. So you're in that conversation. I'm also in the conversation around what are we doing with our marketing? How are we connecting with the different demographics and, and, and those kinds of things? But I'm also in the conversation around, so some, from a supplier diversity perspective, what are we doing? How are we making that work? And then finally, of course, I'm in the conversation around from a sales perspective and a business perspective, how are we going to build this business for the long term? And what does that look like? And so that's the, that's the business partner side of what I need to be. Now, in all of those conversations, I bring the business side, but I also bring the equity, inclusion, and belonging side. And how we should look at that. What does the data tell us about that? So given where demographics are going, what does that mean here? Oh, wait a minute. We're in 150 plus countries. How do we go about doing that there? So, so there's, there's all of that. To get in the seat, it is about having that breadth and depth of knowledge, being that true business partner. Somebody said, James, it's really interesting because we would never go into a, we would never go into a board meeting without having the data and insights from our, our, um, our CFO. We would never do, do that. Why would, we, why would we go into our board meeting without having data insights from an equity inclusive belonging perspective for this business, right? And so you are a part of the business team. I'm a part of the global leadership team. And, and I am a business partner who happens to do equity inclusion and belonging. So I think that's what a person needs to have in this, in this, in this role today. Let me just end with over the last couple of three years, um, people have said, James, I'm really passionate about this space. I'm, I want to be in this space because I'm passionate about it. Passion's great, but it doesn't win the day. It doesn't win the day. I'm passionate as well. I mean, I, you can probably tell I'm passionate, but how I leverage that passion determines how successful or how effective I am and ultimately how effective we are in the organization. Um, folks are like, well, you know, but I'm, I'm passionate about this, this space. And when they say that, my question is, are you passionate for you? Are you passionate for others? Or are you passionate for how this all comes together in this business? Because if, it, if you're passionate for you, that's great, but it doesn't solve for what we need to. If you're passionate for others, then we need to make sure we channel that passion in a way that will be supportive of others. 
If you're passionate for this business, it will actually inform how we show up every day with that passion to make sure that we leverage the passion to help support the business in a way that folks understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, and most importantly, get behind it. Incredible insights on really around passion. And it's not about you. It's about doing good for others. It goes back to the impact on HR, right? And if you're in this for yourself, you probably should go to sales or something where you can have some direct revenue and make some money for yourself. But HR people, we've all given, we've all in this field because we care about other people. We care about making impact through others. And I think what you described there was brilliant. My next question, if someone was newly hired as a chief diversity officer and they said to you, James, I want to make an impact in my first six months, what would you say to them? The first thing I would say was, do you know what you're signing up for? (laughs) 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 But once we get past that, once we get past that, what I would tell them is, first thing you do is listen. Just listen. Listen to everybody. Talk to everybody in the organization at all levels of the organization so you understand a couple of things. Number one, you understand how people are feeling in the organization at all different levels. Some may say, I don't think they're serious about equity, inclusion, and belonging here in my company. Leaders may say, hey, look, you know, we've got a business to run, right? Why why should we move this to the top of the list of things to do? Others may say, I'm all in on it. I just don't know what to do, right? So literally by listening, it'll inform how you should go about starting your work. So that's number one. Number two is then align and connect. Align the work around the organization's moral essence and values, their vision, mission statement, and their strategy, right? Align and connected to those things. If it sits outside of the broader business strategy, your work is going to be immensely more difficult. And quite honestly, folks might start to wonder where you're adding value. So make sure it is linked, synced, and connected to the missions, vision, and strategy of the business. Um, and then finally, execute. Execute. Figure out where we're at from a baseline perspective and start bringing some some tools to life, some experiences to life that will have people improve their skills to engage with people who are different than they are. It could be as simple as having a coffee chat with the leader so that leader can share a little bit about their background experiences. Why? Because when we talk about art, Art typically happens faster when people get to know each other. And then you come up with your roadmap, given where we're at, where do we want to go? Um, and then finally, and this is really, really important, make sure you, as you come into the role, you get clear on what resources that you will have and, and those that you won't. Because a lot of times what has happened with a number of companies, especially the last couple of three years, is people say they want a chief diversity officer and they come into things like that. We really want to make progress on equity, inclusion, belonging, and all of that. And then there's the chief diversity officer and they have no resources. And, or budget. Uh, or, 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 or budget. No resources or, 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 or budget, but they're expected to make progress in the space, which is a, the question was in their first six months. Well, if you run into this last item that we just talked about in terms of lack of resources and or budget, they will probably only be there six months more and they'll be on their way. So, and by the way, that is telltale in terms of how serious is the company is look at the resources that are put against the space. So, so that's what I would say. Listen, align and connect and then execute. 
James, last question. What is the one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? (laughs) I guess it would be chameleon. Chameleon. And a chameleon because we will have to change, grow, modify ourselves in a way that if I'll go back to this business partner piece with as fast as things are coming with what's going on technology wise, what's going on from a demographically, what's going on with how we work, how we work today. And if we're not a chameleon, um, people will, will think about us like they used to think about us. And this is going to age me, but HR used to be called personnel, you know, and this kind of thing. Well, what we need to do, if, if we're worth our salt, and if we really want to be HR business partners, quite honestly, we're going to need to be some of the folks who are on the cutting edge of where things are going to bring our companies where they need to be. And in order to do that, it is going to require us to be chameleons. I'm going to have to learn how to do things differently, engage differently, use different technologies, coach differently. We're just going to need to be chameleons and we need to get out there ahead of our leaders because they're looking to us. I guess the biggest thing, whether it's human resources holistically or equity, inclusive belonging, as I shared uh, with uh, one of my uh, uh, one of my colleagues yesterday, people are counting on us. So people are counting on us. Right. So let's show up. I, yeah, I, I think actually what I said was, so we have to show the hell up. Right. So well, let's make sure we do that. Well, James, you're one perspective worth listening to. I am grateful. And I think we're all grateful you showed up today to have this conversation. Thank you for being on the Future of HR podcast. My friend, I truly appreciate it. I truly appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. My thanks again to James for sharing his insights on how to build authentic relationships that lead to trust and a culture of belonging. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And we'll be back next week with Ann Gotti, VP Global Talent Management at Bumble. In my conversation with Ann, we will discuss the four capabilities that differentiate the best talent management leaders what makes Bumble's culture different than anywhere else she's ever worked, the female leaders she admires the most and why, and much, much more. Thanks again for listening to the Future of HR and being part of our community.